Brandon Thurston from Wrestlenomics is up next, and we're going to follow Brandon with John Pollock from Post Wrestling. Thank you, and good afternoon, everyone. But we can't ignore the math, okay? We can't ignore the data. Go on Google Trends, type in your name, then type in mine. You're a straight line. I'm a pyramid. I like the very direct question on that. Television ratings, downward spiral, fire rates, plummeting. The time is now to turn the math around. And welcome to Pollock and Thurston for Wednesday, December the 13th. It's John Pollock from Post Wrestling and Brandon Thurston from WrestleNomics. Hello, Brandon. Hello, John. And, and as I told you when we, uh, we jumped on here, welcome back to Twitter. I have, I have, I made a return to the platform today. You know, I've actually been lurking more and more on, on threads. And then today I, I felt really, is there anything look- wrestling related going on on threads that much? You know what? There's there's a fair amount of activity of people that I'm following on Twitter that are seem to be making the migration towards threads that are posting like individual, like not just, uh, you know, copy and pasting between both platforms. It looks like there are some that are putting, you know, unique comments, threads on threads. Yeah. If if threads had an API, I would just cross post everything from Twitter to, to threads. Yeah, it's kind of. Like I am never going to adapt to something that I literally have to pick up my phone to to touch. If you don't have the desktop capability, call me call me old. That's fine, but it's I I'm never going to participate in these platforms where it's just it's a pain to go out of my way to engage in. So I'm more than happy to also just uh, direct everyone to to this show, Pollock and Thurston. You want you want my thoughts? That was just a sample today online uh, as I was uh, to bring everyone into into context. So. As we have seen for, for quite a while now, when uh, Fightful will come out with various reports about, you know, producers on various matches, um, you know, this has just been like common, commonplace. And I guess the story this week was the fact that Seth Rollins and CM Punk's segment on Raw uh, did not have a producer listed to it that, that Fightful reported on. Uh, so Brian Gortz, who, who I like Brian, I've, I've spoken to him in, in the past. And anyway, he responded uh, to this, this story, uh, that was, that was aggregated that this is so stupid when there's no physicality, there's no producer assigned to a segment. It's been that way forever. Doesn't mean there wasn't a writer working with talent. The bigger question, why is anyone within the company sharing scripts slash rundowns with anyone outside the company? So this, it, this, it came across my, uh, my, my desktop and it's, it's an aspect that kind of takes me to another subject that I have sort of like, it always has irked me the fact that we watch so much wrestling product, whether it's good or bad, it comes with, with both, but you could, you could watch um, a tremendous video package, a tremendous segment, a tremendous match. And you don't know all of the people that go into this beyond just your principal performers that you see on screen. So to get to Brian's criticism, I mean, he's looking at it more like, why would someone leak this information? And my argument would be, there are tons of nameless, faceless people in that company that work tirelessly on a weekly basis that I think would have no objection to their work being recognized. And I understand that's a, a larger issue in pro wrestling, but one that without any kind of, you know, we talk about the, the writer strike that just went down. WWE's writers, not part of that. And these people receive no credit. So when a writer comes and goes in the company, they could be there for 20 years or two months. Odds are you're, you're going to know very little in terms of the names that make up this writing list and any of the work that they were attached to. So when they are on the, and, outs- and do we think that that union writers, that's part of their, their union contract is that they have to be credited. I think that's a, that's a major part of like negotiations. It's in terms of like where your positioning is in, in credits, what kind of title you're going to be attached to. And I mean, that's certainly something that, you know, it's not there on behalf of the broadcaster. That's there on the behalf of the writer. So they are recognized for their work. Yeah, there, there's something called the WGA screenwriting credit system. Just on a quick Google there. So anyway, it was just my thought on just where the wrestling system is. And instead of viewing this as a who's leaking this type of angle to take from it, maybe we could approach it from the side of why do we not recognize um more people that work on these shows. And it just seems to be, well, it's pro wrestling. We've never done it that way outside of, you know, WCW famously having a credit rule at the end of their pay-per-views, but 
largely it's a uncredited industry that we watch all of this programming with. And then when we see a mass amount of cuts that come, well, if you're a performer, that's going to get tons of spotlight. But there's lots of these people. And we just heard Mark Shapiro last week stating the fact that a lot of these nameless, faceless people, probably more cuts coming in those departments, and we won't know most of their names. So when uh, a lot of the response to this, by the way, is, is positive, including people who are in the business like Mark Henry um, and Matt Cardona approving of it. And I, oh, I, haven't, I haven't even looked at any of the stuff, <laughs> um, so this is all news to me. And a lot of random fans just being like, yeah, uh, but – so what's feel, feel free to play devil's advocate though sure so what's the harm here first of all um bef- i think there's a second issue that he's getting to maybe like you know who, who's the rat but but what's the harm is it that people will watch the show and know sort of the inner workings that that takes away some of the mystique you know i i, I almost want to say oh no people are going to figure out pretty soon that this business is a work and then that these matches aren't real but is it is it like I, I've heard people complain about this, you know, the spoilers that supposedly the dirt sheet writers report, which I, I, I don't know that they're reporting spoilers so much as I, I know Sean Rossap will report. Here's the lineup of um, and that is actually what he's referring to, what Brian Gortz is referring to here, the, the scripts and the rundowns. Um, and I, I just it, it's like- a case of that. The, the fact that the the media and the wrestling companies that we cover. We're not always going to have the same objectives of what a report is. And yes, had let's let's just throw a theoretical out there that this past Saturday had. okay, for instance, uh, John Cena, who works on our site, he was in Bridgeport, Connecticut for NXT. He was also he went by the WWE headquarters. Now, if he had spotted CM Punk there in the afternoon and he texts me, hey, hey, Pollock, I just saw CM Punk. Um, he's 20 minutes away from Bridgeport. Maybe he's going to be on deadline tonight. Now I love John Cena, but would have to verify that. Um, and not to toot my own horn, but I feel I could verify that with, with a couple of, uh, of texts and confirmations is CM Punk scheduled for tonight. Let's say I get the okay. And I report CM Punk is in Bridgeport expected to appear on deadline tonight. I have no doubt. I think that's newsworthy. I have no doubt. I would get tons of you ruined this surprise. However, WWE took it on their behalf to you the same channels that they will criticize for spoilers. They will actively utilize when they want to get the word out to benefit the hype and last minute buzz for their show, which they did Saturday, noting that CM Punk is in Bridgeport and doing a tweet back and forth with Shawn Michaels, inviting him to the show. And no one cries spoiler on behalf of the company because that's the direction now they are pointing you in. So we're very selective when it comes to this criticism, when it's media disseminating a message versus the company actively promoting something because they know it has a value to promotion versus a surprise. And and I think what you're describing there with with like a CM Punk case would be an exceptional case in terms of I might come across it not knowing that that I'm about to see something that's a spoiler. In in terms of the, the rundowns that Fightful reports, I have to seek those out. And like I, I subscribe to Fightful Select. I, I rarely look at them because it's not something that I'm particularly interested to see what the rundown of, of Raw or SmackDown are before. Nor, nor are they posting results in advance or like it's just it's the rundown, essentially. And then afterwards, like I think if I was a producer in that company um, that, you know, maybe maybe you have a great it's always going to vary too. like you will have matches where you will hear talent state that the. The producer is kind of just there to oversee. Their input might be limited. But then you have others where they are much more hands-on and they are very instrumental. And I would I cited like Tyson Kidd as one example that I think we have a great indication of his contributions to the women's division over these years and that he has stood out as a really solid producer. And I would I would not be looking at these reports as a negative. Instead, here is some idea of credit I have that there's there's no spotlight I'm getting from in my company. But outside of it, I mean, that is a bit of attention that you do have for yourself and just acknowledgement of your work. And, and to your point, the reason why anybody even recognizes the name Tyson Kidd in the first place is because he was a wrestler on television for many years, as opposed to a lot of the, the road agents or ma- match producers are former wrestlers. But a lot of the people who are producing the video uh, and who, you know, who are setting up the stage, nobody knows their names. Uh, they're, they're people who, you know, a, a lot of people were laid off uh, over the last several months, uh, both in September and then a few weeks ago again. And, and that, that did include some production cuts. Yeah. So I'm not asking for like sweeping changes that we know like the, 
the gaffer on on Raw on Monday nights. However, that said, like it it strikes me like I, I've loved the Shinsuke Nakamura videos that they have done. I think it has rehabilitated him in a grand sense. And I personally, I could not tell you who is responsible for these videos, who is editing these videos, where the idea came from, and like how many WWE video packages does that apply to? How many? original wwe documentaries that you've watched that wow they did a really great job well who was in who was involved in that it's very rare that you have like like a jean carlo for instance and his work with gcw and now aew that like stands out as someone that you maybe have an eye for towards his work but that's very it's few and far between that a writer is cited for their work unless a wrestler goes out of his way like a chris jericho mentioning jimmy jacobs with their work in WWE together. Like you don't hear about the writers. Like just last week I was on the call with Shawn Michaels and he stayed one of the big reasons they've been able to attract this younger audience. We have a lot of younger writers on our staff, but again, I would imagine the vast majority of people out there have no idea the identities of, of these people that have turned NXT around over this past year. Yeah. And if we can get to the, the other part of, of Brian Gortz's point, he, he said the, the bigger question is why is anyone within the company sharing scripts slash rundowns with anyone outside the company? So is, is that just about like people who, who work for the company are being disloyal by sharing information with reporters? Is that, I point? think that's how Brian Gortz is couching it, that it's like this act of going against the company, leaking confidential documents. I would just say, and listen, we're not, I'm not pointing fingers at whoever is sharing this. I mean, I'm not, I'm not reporting on these. So, and I'm not going to like guess, but my larger point would be what percentage of the people that have access to these documents have zero uh, kind of zero credit is acknowledged for them. Like writers, producers, like all of these people that have no acknowledgement, um, I think it's only natural that people want to have knowledge of their work. And especially if you are in the production side of things and you hear a Mark Shapiro stating like, we are coming to slash this department. I mean, these people have to realize like I might need a job and no one knows me from Adam based on the fact that I'm just a, an anonymous production worker that might do the Nakamura video editor, okay? If he got cut tomorrow, we probably wouldn't know his name, and this guy would have to probably pitch himself to an AEW or an Impact, and hopefully um, would would have enough um, credibility or work resume that would. But nobody nobody could identify this as like this this great work of the this editing team, for instance. As Mark Shapiro said a couple of weeks ago. Um, I think we played the clip here on this show. Um, despite what the the production chiefs at WB and UFC are telling him uh, he believes that there's more cuts that, that can be made. Um, he didn't specify people, but I think kind of, of course, he's not going to specify people, even if he does really mean people. He did mention cameras and tape machines, um, but I, I'm thinking he means people as part of that expense that he thinks can be cut. So anyway, those th those are my thoughts. Are you are you are you pro credit rolls at the end of wrestling shows, Brandon? Do, do you think that that would actually upset um like would that would that be a drastic change to to have some some implementation where there is acknowledgement or there is kind of like writers attached to like a a great scene for instance I guess I'm thinking about where that would be. I guess it would be at the end of the show. And, and we can, we can all remember like the old WCW pay-per-views that would roll the credits right. and you'd see Virgil Runnels as the, as the director yeah. or whatever. Um, I, I guess, uh, it's a, it's a question of where to put it on a show that is traditionally so tight for time. And do you, want and you to would have outrage from the usual suspects that would be, Oh my God, like, why don't we, it, it would be exactly the, my God, why don't we just tell everybody it's, it's a, it's work, a change. But yeah. It's like, how can we argue on one side, WWE, we deserve an Emmy. And then on the other side, like what, what are the basic core functions of being a, a program that I, again, if your writers were, were unionized, it would be a much different uh, system. I feel. Yeah. I guess I'm, I'm, I read this and I, I agree with your comments and I, I look at it as another instance of where critical thinking is not put first and instead sort of just, you know, supporting the people who are in charge is, is, is put ahead of that. And I think, I mean, that's, this is why I'm, I'm so encouraged that I've turned to the dark side here in that I, I, at a, at a very low level, I was involved in wrestling and I saw it as to such a great extent 
you were not taught how to think critically. You were given a lot of very creative people were told each other very creative ways in which ultimately the end destination was to win favor with the people who were in charge of a, of a business that is where, where people's careers are decided based on very subjective decisions of people in power. And there isn't so much of a, of a critical thinking, a critical thought around how to actually get over them and, or what is actually good for the business or what is actually good for my coworkers and, and how do I, you know, ensure that they have better careers instead it's, you know, who's being disloyal to, to, to the power structure here. Well, I, I learned in my own career working at a television broadcaster where it was like a lot of the people above us came from, you know, a, a previous network that they had worked at. And it's, it's just natural that you implement sort of the, the patterns and ways you do things into your future work. And I would always be one of why are we doing it this way? And a lot of times the feedback was, well, that's how we've, we've always done it. And it becomes very easy, especially when you're churning out a lot of content to just fall into these. But I think sometimes it does help. And pro wrestling could greatly utilize some of, well, why do we do this? And if that's the, how pro wrestling is. And if that's the only answer you can provide, then I think it does require more critical thought, as, as you would put it, because just doing things because that's the way it's always been done. Does that really, is that really relevant to the current marketplace and where pro wrestling is today versus where pro wrestling was 20 years ago? I mean, it's, it's a night and day difference of a business, but we've gone long enough without talking about CM Punk, uh, because that was, that was our headliner uh, today to talk about that. The early returns on CM Punk. Has it been a positive return? For CM Punk, after several appearances on television, has yet to wrestle a match, but he will be at the end of the month as he has been added to two live events as of this recording. I read that he's wrestling Dominic. Um, so his his first promo was met with uh, some some disappointment. I think that people thought he was too much of a of a fawning, you know, of a of a nice CM Punk. Uh, his first promo on Raw after Survivor Series, but now he is this past Friday he was on SmackDown. Um, and his quarter did well. And I have his quarter here for, uh, for Raw, which did enormously well. Um, he was the only quarter, we have to say here, he was the only quarter. His, now I should include Seth Rollins here too. But CM Punk and Seth Rollins, they were the entirety of this quarter. There are no ads in this quarter, which is very beneficial. Uh, for people watching the video, you can see in the red here, this is the only quarter with no ads. Every other quarter had at least one ad, many had two. Um, so they were definitely is, is that consistent with the the nine o'clock to nine fifteen quarter, or th- th- does that vary by week that uh, the the ad breaks? I don't know, but I okay. I, I, I want to say it's pretty rare for there to be no ads whatsoever, right? In in a whole quarter hour. Now, taking that into consideration, I went into the big spreadsheet and I said, "Give me all the quarter hours that were on Raw that had no ad breaks in them. Show me the quarter to quarter difference. This is the biggest positive difference, as you can see, twenty five percent up from the prior quarter. There's no quarter hour from Raw that that had no ads or had ads in it either way since early twenty twenty two. That has a delta has an increase as high as this does. So, even considering great advantage here, no ads. This is. Uh, a meaningful, a meaningful data point. When I saw your line graph, I mean, it just looked like, uh, <laughs> I imagined it would be Phil Brooks screensaver for at least the next couple of months. Um, because look, look at this, uh, this triangle here at the, at the top here. So this was the peak in viewership and the 18 to 49 by a significant margin, 1,881,000 viewers, as Brandon mentioned, a 25% increase from the prior quarter and doing, uh, what uh, is that? Eight hundred fourteen thousand in the demo. So th- this was over six hundred thousand viewers above the main event uh, in, in the third hour as well. This was the peak segment on Raw. It was an excellently received segment. On top of that, and comes after his appearance on Friday Night SmackDown, which was also the peak audience and quarter. Um, but th- this was, I-, I would say, so far his his most uh, impressive performance uh, to date because you didn't have. This was not like this was. Two nights after the Survivor Series, this is several appearances in, and it was viewed, you know, with the hook of him deciding what brand he's going to sign with. Maybe the strongest argument for the brand split uh, of of late here was CM Punk having to decide between SmackDown, NXT, and Raw. 
Yeah, I, I look at especially this quarter hour from from Raw, and and as you mentioned, it's so it's it's such a high peak above everything surrounding it. I I do wonder, and I've seen other instances that made me think the same thing over the last uh, several months. That I wonder if if a lot of it, a lot of the increase in viewership here, and remember we're still looking at live same day, right? I mean we're we're not even a few days removed from from the event happening, but still every everything that. This measurement is live same day. So anything probably before like 3 a.m. gets counted in here. I wonder if it's a lot of people who are, who are hearing the feedback uh, and are going back to their DVRs and checking it out and then just not watching the rest of the show because it's such a huge difference uh, over what's before and what's after. And this clearly um, an argument for when two people do a face to face with no words that 30 camera cuts are perfectly acceptable. I heard you, you counted that, right? This is that that's what that was. That was during this. In ring this is when 30? Seth when Seth enters the ring and they just go face to face and they're just staring a hole into one another. I'm watching this and I was like, it was jarring to me. And I'm just watching this. I was like, how many cuts are there? And guess what? I have a lot of time on my hands when I'm watching Raw. So I went back. <laughs> there were 30 camera cuts during this face to face before Seth or Punk said a word to one another. I, I don't know how often that happens in promos, right? Like, obviously, we know the, the tradition for matches is every time there's impact, the, the camera switches. And I've heard people say that that's, it's been less so. I, I would be uh, curious to go back 20 years or so to the, the, the famous Hogan Rock uh, segment that they had and, and see if uh, it, it was a similar, uh, you know, cut trigger happy finger. You know what I've considered doing, and it would take a lot of work to do, because I'd have to like download video and gigabytes upon gigabytes of video, but to like give me a few episodes of Raw from I don't know each year or something like that, so we could use a sample and extrapolate. But and then I'm not going to do it manually, but in, in an automated fashion, I have looked into this. There are like tools where you can, it's it's called like scene change detection or something like that, where you'd count the, n the number of times that the camera changed and to see what the normal was, you know, what the norm was over time and where this really peaked and increased and whether it's any different today. Yeah. I it just completely intuitively, I feel like the introduction of the shield and all of their attacks was like just the explosion. That's when I feel I noticed them the most was just any point of impact. We suddenly were, were cutting, um, but yes, a very worthwhile project, Brandon, that I would I would look forward Someday. to if, if you ever uh, uh, decided to go into that. But Punk has been added for December 26th, which is the show at Madison Square Garden, and December 30th at his old stomping grounds, the Kia Forum. With both shows, he has advertised against Dominic Mysterio. Um, we'll see if he has added to any more shows during that, that post-Christmas tour. I mean, of course, these shows are booked months out, but I feel they could have come back... Um, a month after the Survivor Series in Chicago with a punk in a big match. And I think they would have drawn really well uh, five weeks after Survivor Series. But of course, when these buildings are being booked, I don't think CM Punk was expected to be on these shows. Yeah. Or didn't, the you guys, didn't you guys mention this, suggest this as a, as a match, Don versus uh, CM Punk on a recent uh, Rewind a, a Raw? Well, they did, they did the, uh, the brief tease of the two like uh, just interacting. Okay. And I thought this was like a perfect opponent. Like these are going to have mega heat in these matches. And it's a safe opponent for Punk to just go in. It's not like you're uh, giving away everything. But I, I think this is a great opponent for these uh, returns for, for Punk on these shows. And I am certain that both uh, both the LA and New York shows are going to see a bump here as CM Punk adds to his WWE portfolio. But you, you have to assess this overall that this has been as strong a three weeks as you could envision of a CM Punk return to the WWE and where things stand and that this guy appears to be on the precipice of getting a major match at WrestleMania um, with Seth Rollins at the end of it. Yeah, I would say it's going pretty well so far. Um I, I've, I watched the Seth Rollins segment and I, and I did feel like, you know, when CM Punk is on TV, it feels, I don't know, it, it feels more important or it feels more real, I guess, in, in a way that like, you know, in, in the t nearly 10 years in between WWE, uh, has not felt so real. Uh, it feels relevant and like, you know, something serious and real is happening. Do you feel that of all the kind of negative baggage he, uh, was was carrying after the exit from AEW. Does that feel like it, it's been shed at this point? Like this is just a, it's a very short term memory that the this, audience. This guy could self destruct at any time. I, I still think. I, listen, I I don't think at all people. I think people would be very naive to just think like, oh, this guy he's home 
And uh, this is going to be just a merry walk in the park um, that this could go at any time. But it does feel that the audience has like it does feel like he has shed a lot of that um, that has been bagging him for the last year and a half since the press conference. Well, he has he's a lot less leverage here, right? In a much bigger company. So there's advantages, I think, for WWE. If you're going to handle somebody who's difficult and who's prone to conflict, I think being a bigger, more powerful company in terms of revenue by multiples than, than AEW is a big advantage there. Yeah. And, uh, and Fightful did report that he was, he was, he was at, um, the performance center on Tuesday. He did not appear on NXT, but, uh, I did hear that, yes, he was there and seemed to be, you know, open to anyone coming up, asking questions. Like he's being, uh, you know, he's on his best behavior and he's being a good soldier and he is, I think, definitely endearing himself to the, the locker room and, as much as, you know, people looked at, man, how are people going to respond? I think there's a ton of people, um, especially at that NXT level, um, that probably look at Punk as like this huge star that they, they grew up watching, um, that, that is here that they probably have a, a very strong opinion of as opposed to kind of a, a negative viewpoint. And that's consistent with things I've, I've heard about how he was in AEW in terms of wanting to help younger wrestlers, wanting to give mm-hmm. people advice. I'd, I'd heard that he was. Somebody who stuck around, you know, say his his segment was on early, he stuck around through the whole show and, and watched it all and, and would talk to people afterwards. So that seems like something that he wants to do in terms of helping people who are coming up. Well, this week we also had the um, maybe rather anticlimactic end, or at least the pending end, to the lawsuit between WWE and MLW. And that's going to allow us to bring in our very special guest uh, from MMA Payout. Pleasure to welcome Jason Cruz to the show. Jason, how are hey, you Jason. today? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Uh, we're doing great. Uh, thanks a lot for, for joining us, uh, both Brandon and I, fans of your work. And uh, we oh, wanted to you. have you on because uh, all of a sudden, this WWE MLW lawsuit, we're not getting into discovery. We're not going to a trial. Um, just all of a sudden, this drops on Monday that the sides appear to have reached the settlement. And within 30 days, they'll be filing their papers. And it just seems like this is going to be a... Uh, a clean exit from WWE having to um, essentially have the roof of or the hood of the car opened up and see what, what's going on inside. Well, I definitely think it's a great, uh, a great result for MLW simply because in my opinion, I didn't think that they had really had a, a great case going into, into this, uh, into this lawsuit. It was, if you recall that the, the judge allowed, uh, MLW to amend its complaint to add more context <laughs> to the lawsuit, mm-hmm. which basically means we're gonna, we're gonna, we're going to dismiss this thing unless you have more meat to the lawsuit. So they did. It survived, uh, the motion to dismiss from the WWE. And they, MLW, uh, can go on, uh, and, uh, and, uh, live without having to, uh, worry about getting, uh, crushed by the WWE in court. And do you have a sense of how common that is for, uh, a case to, to get dismissed before the judge to allow the plaintiff to amend in a case like this? Yeah. You know, it, it happens, uh, it happens a lot. And, uh, I get the sense a couple reasons um, that perhaps WWE didn't think that MLW had a strong case. And one of the reasons is that it was it remained in the U.S. District Court in Northern California. Now, as you know, you guys know from whenever WWE gets sued and it gets tense, they move it to Connecticut. Uh, where they are the home, where, where it's the home base. And usually, uh, WWE is allowed to do those things because if they're being sued, they can, uh, they can go ahead and move their case to where their closest, their, their central business is. Uh, and, uh, so secondly, the, as a matter of context with filing lawsuits, the court will allow the plaintiff filing the lawsuit, every opportunity to get its say in court, essentially. And so they can amend the law. They can suggest that they amend the lawsuit uh, basically by just saying, hey, listen, the court would just say, hey, listen, we, we don't think you have have it, have a strong case here. Now, if you bring something else, we can entertain it and the defendants can de- defend it. Uh, and we could see here that uh, when MLW uh, filed its first amendment complaint, uh, that they went ahead and fi- put in more detail and context 
for uh, for the court to entertain it and the WWE to defend it. Going through the case, like, where did you see MLW? Like, what what was the strength of their argument, if you believe that there was one? Well, it, it wasn't an antitrust claim. It wasn't the antitrust claim, to be honest with you. I think they did have a strong case with the internet, inter, intentional interference with uh, the business, the prospective businesses. I think that uh, their allegations related to how uh, Vince McMahon and WWE went behind the scenes to get them off of Vice, uh, the, the decision not to include them on the Peacock Network. I think those were strong uh, strong allegations against WWE. Did they give rise to antitrust a- a- implications as far as um, destroying other people within the market? I don't know if any of those things would be give rise to being anti-competitive. Now, definitely they can have a monopoly and be a strong market, uh, have market, a uh, strong market share, but uh, you know, you'd have to prove, MLW would have to prove more than what they had brought as far as, hey, you know, uh, you know, they, they hey, uh, you know, they did this to everybody. They, they, uh, um, WWE had so much bandwidth that they shut everybody off of, uh, television or streaming platforms. And I think that's what one of the WWE central arguments was is like, hey, we're not taking you off a of TV. We're not taking you off of any of these, uh, larger platforms. We're just, uh, you know, we just have the contacts and you don't. So. The, the point that this case was at was was in discovery, which it seemed was was beginning to happen, which which you can explain better. But I, th- I think it means we request certain information from each other's parties, and, and maybe we get that information. Um, it's like what, what kind of discovery would MLW have had to you know bring out to to help their case? I think that um, as we are seeing in the Zufa lawsuit, if they were able to extract emails um, or uh, communications or something of that nature where they w- were to uh, see emails where they are talking, where, um, someone, an executive is talking to, um, Stephanie McMahon or Vince McMahon about how Vince McMahon was pissed that, uh, Vice had, which is alleged. Uh, yeah. Which is alleged. <laughs> yeah. With these emails uh, about, Hey, you know, get these guys off the, why are you, you know, why are you, uh, Hire, you know, why are you getting this other uh, wrestling promotion out there? You know, the uh, quote unquote, uh, you know, hot document or something of that nature. Those things could have been helpful for MLW to prove their case. Uh, all, all uh, you know, also that, you know, they probably have to depose people, uh, WWE executives. Uh, and then, you know, obviously with the talent, uh, the talent uh, poaching or whatnot, they'd have to they'd have to prove that as well. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. So in, in this case, I mean, if you are the legal representation for MLW and they did have like a pretty significant law firm uh, backing them here with, with uh, Mark Kasowitz, I mean, are you ultimately uh, of the belief that, you know, a lot of times in a, in a case like this, this is going to come down to a settlement and how far are we going to go before there's there's a figure that is just too enticing to just walk away from and end what is just going to be mounting, mounting legal bills on the MLW side that I, I'm sure this, this was not a cheap uh, venture to pursue for the last year and a half. No, n- 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 not at all. And definitely as a, in a comparison to the UFC lawsuit where there are fighters uh, fighting for a, a share of the pie, we have just one, one entity and that's MLW. And 
as far as the legal representation, you want to ask your client, hey, how far do you want to go with this? You know, do, do you, and moreover, do you have the capital to fund this lawsuit through trial? I don't know what, what the structure is. Usually in these plaintiff's lawsuits, they are, uh, as they say in the craps terms, on the come. Just, you know, uh, when you get paid, you, uh, you have to, uh, when you settle or get the verdict, you get paid. So I'm not sure if MLW was just paying them monthly or whatnot, but definitely it's something, especially for MLW, I, you know more than I that it's it's a smaller entity. I don't know how much of a legal budget they have, but like, you know, a year and a half in, and you you worry about, you know, how much you're pet spending on all of these legal bills and what is what are you going to gain out of that? You know, are you really do you really believe you're going to get a multi-million dollar verdict out of WWE? As, and then how long before you actually get it? We, you know, because it, certainly WWE would appeal any decision that would would happen. Yeah, my impression is that MLW, they have investors, but maybe this was on contingency, especially given the profile of, of the law firm that they were working with. Um, but do, do you see any any relationship between the UFC antitrust case being ongoing and this case with WWE when the, these when that case started, when the WWE case started and the UFC case for that matter, what, 10 years ago, mm -hmm. they were not merged. They have merged in September. Uh, and do you think that fact that they are they are now two merged companies – both litigating uh, antitrust lawsuits. Did that? Do you see that having any pressure in urging a settlement to eventually happen here? Not at all. I, I don't think so. Simply because I, I think that TKO itself is a huge entity in which they can um, assume a lot of the legal bills that was were happening. I would, I would imagine that the executives got in there with their lawyer, with the lawyers and law firms and, and discuss what's our, what's the strategy and what's the strength of the lawsuit. Uh, they have enough money to withstand going to trial, uh, with both lawsuits. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they have more than just both two lawsuits going on. Uh, again, like I, I, I said the WWE, uh, lawsuit, they had a stronger case as far as either getting it out on a summary judgment motion or dismissing it or actually winning a defense verdict. The UFC case, um, is a lot, a uh, lot more intense as far as the issues involved and how it could st structure and change the industry. As you look at Sort of what is your major takeaway here on the WWE's end? Like certainly we assume that, you know, they're they're signing over so, some sizable portion here to make this go away. But also I would say at the same time, let's not leave ourselves open that another promotion could revisit this down the road. I mean, are they do you feel like something like this actually does assess your internal practices? Because the deeper you go with WWE, I think especially when we're talking about the 80s, where it was just the Wild West, and you could certainly point to a lot of predatory behavior. Is, does the company take take anything in solace from this to avoid a, a, another entity coming after them with similar arguments about their business practices? Probably not, to be honest with you. I, I, I think that they're cl the closest competitor and the a uh, promotion that could do something of that nature would be AEW, as you guys know, but AEW just actually purchased a, a company. So, uh, I, I don't know, uh, what their, uh, what, what they would, they would do. I doubt a antitrust lawsuit would come of any of the, uh, anything between AEW or WWE. Uh, you know, there may be lawsuits, uh, you know, contractual interference with business relations, those more of us uh, or commercial torts uh, of that nature, where they're just businesses suing other businesses for money, not a game changing antitrust lawsuit. And the other promotions uh, in wrestling, you know, are, are smaller and, and just don't have the budgets to go up against the uh, WWE. And would WWE be in a position where they, they will eventually you know, as TKO is a publicly traded company, d disclose whatever this settlement figure is or like what's kind of their responsibility when it comes to this case being settled? You know, that's a good, that's a, <laughs> that's an interesting question. I don't know if, uh, 
if the settlement will be confidential and sealed, you know, that's one of they, what's, that's one of the agreements MLW will go into as far as, Hey, we're, we're going to have, you know, uh, let's, we'll settle for X amount of dollars. So long as you sign this document that's saying you can't say anything about it. Um, so that, that might be a way for them not to disclose that information. Um, obviously there are ways that I'm not going to say hide, but just, you know, move around information. So it's hard for people to, to detect how much the settlement went for. Yeah. I would think just from reading SEC filings for a while that if it's not material to their business and now their business is combined and even bigger, then they, they're not going to disclose something that's not, I don't know, in, in at least the tens of millions of dollars. And Correct. it could be, and, and certainly if it was you know, upwards towards a hundred, maybe they would have to disclose that. But, you know, we don't even get explicit reporting in the SEC filings about like what WTV deals are worth. The only reason why we have mm-hmm. that information is because that's been reported separately uh, in media. Um, but it, it, I was just thinking here, you know, this is the third, I believe the third case, the third lawsuit that WWE has settled this year. They had a uh, former writer, Brittany Abram, Abrahams oh, right. mm-hmm. sued them over racial discrimination, wrongful termination. Um, this there's the, the Panini trading cards. The short lived Panini. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And this is the third. And even you go back to, I think, the 2018 or 2019, there's the, um, there's a shareholder lawsuit that was settled. So it's usually not the, you know, that's not the reputation of, of a Vince McMahon company to, to settle. He usually wants to fight, but I wonder if that, you know, makes people smell blood in the water here. I know these are all pretty different issues, but you know, that's, it's not usual. It's not usually the case for WWE to settle lawsuits. As soon as the discovery phase reached, uh, we need access to Vince McMahon's inbox. It's like, okay, yeah. okay let's sit down <laughs> and talk about this. Um, we also wanted to chat a bit about the, uh, the, the status and kind of your, um, analysis of where we are regarding the UFC antitrust suit. And I mean, I, I don't think any of us could have remembered, uh, in 2014, the idea that we would still be talking about this in 2023. We're almost exactly uh, nine years from, um, the suit being filed. But I mean, is this one that, I mean, are you, are you of the belief that this will reach a trial now that we have a date in April or do you sense that at the end of the day, there is going to be that, that pressure point that is reached where finally they are just going to avoid a a trial? Uh, I think that at least they will start the trial. What that means is that they will go, unless this thing gets uh, kicked or dismissed or whatnot, Zufa is willing to go to trial. Um, now we, we've seen some filings happen throughout, um, last couple of days. Zufa has filed to, to exclude, um, uh, plaintiff's key experts, um, three of them to be, uh, to, uh, to be specific and included a new expert of themselves. This is now it's getting kind of di- interest. They, ex- they included a new expert, which you probably cannot do. And they included his declaration, like um, there were like 30 exhibits attached in a in a motion and his declaration was number 29. So <laughs> there you go. Now we're now we're getting the, 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 the uh, dirty, sneaky tactics here. Um, there, uh, I, I am very positive that uh, this the, this will go to at least the start of a uh, start of a trial, whether it happens in April. I'm you know, it's it's still up in the air, probably shall uh, happen at at that point april 8th i think is the 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 um specific date but you never know with the, with courts as far as when, if they're exactly going to start on the, that particular date but it does look like we, we are m- moving toward there now uh, uh, the other thing that's happening is that summary judgment motion has been filed by zufa again kind of a renewal it, it doesn't sound like uh judge bullware will dismiss the case so we're 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 full speed ahead yeah, I, I don't know this case as well as you two guys do, but I, I did see that there were text messages that were released as part of this lawsuit recently, including Lorenzo Fertitta saying, we got to keep these effers oxygen till they tap out. We have sacrificed too much to let anyone get traction now. And Dana White responding, I agree. You are, and is the letter U and the letter R, 100% correct. And I love it, all caps. So, mm-hmm. uh, there, there's a lot of salacious uh, emails and texts that um, have come out. Uh, the question will be, will any of this see the light of day in court? Because a lot of this information that, that will be submitted will be objected to by Zufa as far as how, uh, w- what evidentiary rule 
and now we're getting uh, getting really into the legal legal weeds about this. What evidentiary rule will allow it to come into court? You know, is is that prejudicial? Uh, more prejudicial than probative evidence? There, I mean, with 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 uh, Lorenzo Fertitta, uh texting that is that you know was he really is uh, saying we are suppressing the market competition at this point, or were they just happy that uh, they beat a guy? Uh, or, or made a guy sign uh, sign a contract or beat out another promotion. I'm really curious to see, like, especially, it, and this would only happen, I think, if we actually got to the trial phase of whether this does become sort of a mainstream sports story. Like, you will, you will see, like, some uh, attention here or there. But, I mean, even in the MMA spaces, you see, Jason, like, it's it's covered in certain outlets, but not prevalent. It's, like, I... To my knowledge, I don't think Dana White has ever had this suit brought up to him, certainly not since these recent revelations and such. And like, is there a real galvanizing effort towards fighters being under underpaid and this becoming sort of a, a national story in, in, in that sense? Or if this is something that is going to kind of just be quiet and people are not going to get lost in the weeds of the details of how these fighters earn or do not earn a living. You know, it speaks to uh, it speaks to media in general uh, simply because uh, that if you, the MMA media need access to fighters and 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 to the stories. Now, if you talk about a story that uh, could put the UFC in that light, they may not come back to you, and you not might not be on their press release list. Uh, to be honest with you, but definitely if a if this goes to trial and we get testimony and oh, and it goes to verdict. Uh, you, you definitely would have to see at least some sort of uh, recognition of this uh, lawsuit happening. I guess to, to to just try and assume like the the UFC stance, and and I feel this would be kind of Dana White's big you know trumpeting cry would just be the sense of like this is America where I built this business, and this is about building our business up. And if the competitors can't can't stand with us, then they fall. This is America where the biggest win. I mean, that's going to be the argument in the sense that, yeah, we're building our company up. And yeah, if the competitors, it's on them to uh, reach our level. I think that's going to be kind of your Dana will sway, I think, a significant amount of the public because this is a very unique industry where we see a lot of fans that side with the company over the fighters. And that that's very unique to other sports. But it's one that like Dana White is there, you know their Pied Piper that they, they stand behind and he's like this cult of personality to them. It's, it's brand loyalty. It's, it's brand loyalty. Dana White is the UFC brand, not the fighters. That's what Zufa wants you to, to, uh, to be indoctrinated about. It's like, it's not about the fighters. It's about Dana White bringing, uh, working all hours and night, bringing the fights to, uh, to the fans and investing their own money. There's going to be a lot of, uh, a testimony about how they were broke. They were, they were on the, on the cusp of bankruptcy and selling and they, uh, went ahead and put in their own money yet again to, uh, prop up the business. And that's, that's going to be one of their talking points uh, when they go to trial. It's hilarious because uh, this week we're actually doing a retrospective look at the first season of The Ultimate Fighter. And the speech everyone remembers is Dana White addressing all the fighters. Uh, do you want to be an effing fighter? And the premise of that speech is the fighters, many of them were there under the belief that they wouldn't have to fight until the finale. And then they are told, no, we're doing fights in the gym that will be exhibition bouts and no one is being paid for these fights. And these guys are like, we're fighting for free. Like that famous speech is all on the premise of these fighters actually showing some like resistance to this practice that the UFC and it was Dana's speech of essentially, we've put all this money into this. This is a great opportunity for you. How dare you expect to be paid for these fights? But that, that was the premise of like one of the key moments of that first ultimate fighter season. And everyone knows how that season went for the company. Yeah, it put him on the map. So anyway, we, uh, um, Brandon, any any further thoughts on uh, where this yeah, case is going and and sort of um, you know, the the challenges ahead? Yeah, just one more. Did you have any opinion about why this case apparently hasn't affected the TKO stock very much or Endeavor's stock? I guess for that matter, since be, you know before the merger, um, TKO stock has been down the last few months, but that's I think mainly reacting to the the SmackDown deal coming in lower than was baked in and uh, Vince McMahon selling some shares and maybe a little bit of worry about uh, the PFL deal with the, with uh, Saudi Arabia. 
Um, but apparently, you know, the, the stock market doesn't view the antitrust lawsuit as a big deal. So I just wonder if you have any thoughts about that. Yeah, I, I, I think it goes to the fact that is this isn't covered too much, uh, that, that people don't believe that uh, even if we go to uh, a trial that Zufla has gone ahead and said that they're going to appeal this this verdict or this this ruling. I mean, yeah, this verdict, no matter what. So, uh, you know, it, obviously, if a, a if a, a if a jury comes out with a huge verdict, I'm sure it'll affect the stock price momentarily. But Zufa seems to seems to be confident either way that they're they're going to push this to an appeal and get the result that they want. Now, obviously that might not happen. Uh, that it might lead to a settlement, but, um, at this point, I don't think that the stock is going to be affected in, at, at any point. And, and if there is like a, a big settlement or if there's a big judgment against UFC, would that take money and, and would that, that take, you know, cash directly from TKO or they, they have insurance, they have liability insurance that would help them cover that? You know, I don't think uh, they have insurance. To, I don't think uh, antitrust uh, is covered by insurance. So that's that's another thing that would have to be uh, considered um, once this gets closer. You know, how how in the in the alternative that they lose or they have to pay out uh, a settlement uh, how would that, where would that money come from? I'm sure that uh, the UFC, uh, could, could do whatever, you know, has the money, could borrow it, whatever, whatever it may be. But yeah, I don't, I don't think insurance would come into play here. Sure. John, you have anything else? Uh, no, as I am, uh, in the midst of, uh, handling two, two, two children, but Did you have to break up a fight. Uh, no, no fights, uh, just a, just a bathroom break, but nonetheless, uh, Jason, we do want to give you a, a chance to uh, let all of our uh, viewers out there know where they can uh, follow your work uh, over at MMA Payout and anything else you have uh, coming up. Oh, yeah. You know, by, by the way, I wore my War Games shirt just because I wanted oh, wow. to be oh. on the, Yeah. So here you go. There it is. Yeah. W.E. War Games. Yeah. Uh, I think yeah, this is the first. Over is the official merchandise for the upcoming uh, trial if they, if they make it in April. <laughs> yeah. So you can follow me. Uh, one, for once, uh, once again, thank you very much for having me. MMAPayout.com is the website. Uh, YouTube, I do uh, uh, breakdowns of these suits, on the legal submission, but it's YouTube, Jason Cruz. And follow me on Twitter, MMA Payout or Dilaton, D-I-L-L-E-T-A-U-N-T. And they, by the way, the book, uh, if you go to Amazon, the book, Mixed Martial Arts and the Law, by the way, if you want uh, if you want a copy as a stocking stuff. There you go. Disputes, Suits, and Legal Issues by Jason Cruz. So um, definitely worth uh, uh, picking up. Uh, this was great, Jason. I'm sure we will be uh, hitting you up again uh, down the road because always, always legal drama between MMA and professional wrestling. And uh, this is a, a great synopsis of everything going on. Awesome. Thank you very much, guys. Have a great one. Thanks, All right. Jason. Thanks a lot, Jason. Jason Cruz, everybody. You can uh, follow him over at MMAPayout.com. Are we going to do a road trip to Las Vegas if they if they go to trial, uh, Brandon? Will that be a... Uh... How long would the trial be for? Who knows? I mean... Uh, I, w- I wouldn't be opposed to that. It could be a solid 10 days, potentially. Yeah. I want this could be our version of uh, Vince McMahon's 94 steroid yeah. distribution trial. Right. Will, so. will Dan, I don't see Dana White wearing a, a neck brace, though. Probably not. I don't think. The guy wouldn't wear a mask uh, to show weakness. I don't think he's going to wear a neck brace. But maybe he'll get advice from uh, his, uh, his now uh, co-worker. Uh, we have a few questions to get to. If you want to uh, sneak in a question, you're welcome to. Uh, this was sent in earlier from Andy. Thank you for the super chat. Would Raw to Warner Brothers Discovery boost AEW the way that they did the Ultimate Fighter? To, from Raw to WBD, I don't know if Raw is necessarily in, in need of boosting. I think they'd be. Uh, uh, well, I think I think what he means is is would Raw, being a, a more popular show than than any of AEW's shows, has higher viewership. Would that being on the oh, same, okay. same I, network I as AEW would that help right. AEW? Right, right, right. I understand what that means. I think that would be part of of a media executive argument about why buying rights to raw would be a good idea is because it would have a synergistic value of putting more wrestling on the the TNT and and TBS networks and, and they may feed off of each other. Um, is that a a real thing? Maybe, I don't know. Um, I, I could see the argument for let's put all the wrestling on one network. That's kind of what ESPN is in term, in terms of MMA with having both UFC and PFL. Um, 
some of the WWE is going to be on USA Network because SmackDown already bought, or because USA already bought rights to uh, SmackDown. So we'll see what happens. Uh, we might have to go to Vegas for six, six weeks. weeks. Wow. Yeah, so that, that would be a commitment on our, on our part. Okay. Um, there you go. <laughs> Brandon and I would have to like hit the tables to, uh, afford, uh, the extra four weeks probably at that, at that point. Yes. I mean, as like you've brought this up many times and I think a lot of people are looking at like raw to me is the rights are in the air. I think the idea of raw going elsewhere is a very viable outcome. But if we do look at the option of, USA being an active bidder in the raw rights and they are uh, able to make such an offer to retain those rights. I think it does bring us right back to the question of did they miss out not being more active when it came to the acquisition of WWE? Now NXT are leaving uh, USA, but when you, when you're dedicating two, it's like we, we want to be in for like two nights of the week of five hours of primetime WWE wrestling, but the ownership side is that's that's too much uh, involvement for our blood. I I think that may have just come down to Comcast slash NBC Universal not wanting wa- wanting to be associated with being willing to be associated with wrestling enough to be a major broadcaster of it, but not wanting to have that brand be one of its very own. Um, that that is my best guess about why they did not by WWE. It, it looks like in, in my view, looking at the, the filings where the, the, the suitors are anonymized that they made a bid and it, and it's the lowest bid that we have a record of in, in, in that filing. It was a $76 per share bid when everybody else was in the eighties and nineties. Um, so yeah, I mean, it did, but it does. I mean, you got, you have Peacock as well. They have the streaming rights, they have SmackDown, but raw could end up somewhere else still. Tony Khan held a media call on Tuesday to promote Ring of Honor's uh, final battle event. And we're going to hear from Tony Khan because he was asked about um, the reports, uh, which House of Wrestling reported first, that CW representatives had spoken with Tony Khan in Los Angeles last year. And here is Tony Khan's answer regarding ROH's television rights and whether or not they had talks with CW. I think CW's great network, and we did have a visit. Dennis uh, visited us at the forum uh, last year and it was great. And uh, I have a lot of respect for Dennis Miller and the CW folks. And I think, uh, you know, the timing uh, for us wasn't necessarily right, but I think there was a lot of great uh, interested people in the marketplace in both AW and ROH. And I think there was Tony Khan. Yes. He's, he's talking about Dennis Miller, not, not the comedian. Yeah, I think, uh, I think everyone was, uh, naturally going towards a former Raw host, guest yes. host, Dennis Miller, but yes. Well, uh, former Monday Night Football commentator. Uh, no, the, the president of the CW is Dennis Miller, different Dennis Miller. Um, but yeah, uh, the, uh, you talk about the, the value that Ring of Honor might have. Not only he did, it did confirm that he's, I don't know if he confirmed that they like negotiated, but he met and talked with, yeah. He, he, he we had a visit. We had a visit. Yeah, with with Dennis Miller when they when they were in, in LA, um, is Ring of Honor really going to add all this value and be potentially bundled into an AEW deal? I would be surprised. I mean, if if you're WBD and you haven't used Ring of Honor for s- some sort of content at this point, why would you start anytime soon? I, it, in, in the Ring of Honor brand only feels uh, l- less hot than it did uh, at an earlier time. Um, so. That's I, I wouldn't expect it, but it's maybe it's something that can contribute to the library. I think that's maybe the likeliest uh, place for it to be. It would have to be a major about face because let's just look at what we do know. Tony Khan purchases Ring of Honor in early 2022. He actively is looking for a television presence and he is going to go to WBD to try and get Ring of Honor. And he seems like very adamant that it has to be on WBD. WBD obviously passes on it because it ends on up on Honor Club. And within several months, it's WBD, Mr. Zaslov, hitting up Tony. We need two hours of wrestling. Well, I brought you two hours of wrestling. No, no, no. We want AEW wrestling on Saturday nights. I think that tells you right there that they, for whatever reason, they do not want Ring of Honor branded pro wrestling. They want AEW branded wrestling. And I mean, and, and from there, you can make your own assumptions about why it is that they wanted two more hours of wrestling later in the year, but they did not want Ring of Honor in that slot on Saturday. 
and, and thinking about it, like the, the library value of Ring of Honor. If if you've seen some VHS tapes of Ring of Honor, like I, I bet you and I have, um, is that of a quality that that if you're you know if you're running the Mac streaming service that you even want on the Mac streaming service? They, they look like they're shot with a camcorder, and, and it's being shot in 2003 or 2002. With the prior ownership of Ring of Honor, like I heard from people that were working on Honor Club that just getting those like the, the the first year up like they had to put a lot of work into those it was not just like the the quality which is obviously going to be significantly below like what, what an AEW program is going to look music. like it's also yeah, right, it, right. it's music it's some of the content too like where you have you know just just various angles and stuff that they shot that is is not going to play to a modern audience um th- th- there was all of this uh, stuff that it's like just the music alone, like that's that's a major undertaking to have to overhaul. And what is the what is the time and money put into uh, editing all of these the, this library? And what are we getting out of it? I can only imagine Tony Khan sitting David Zaslav down to watch the era of honor begins, which opens with the Hit Squad uh, doing the an Christopher angle. Street connection. Yes, yes, oh yes, and and I, I remember some of the chants that were a part of that. Yeah. I mean, that was a long time ago, right? That was like, what, the 60s, early 70s? That was 2002. That was what? February 2002. Yeah. Yeah. My goodness. Well, there you have it, the, the latest. Um, did anything else come out of uh, the Ring of Honor call that I, I would call the uh, something to consider call? Tony gave mm-hmm. quite a few something to considers when he was throwing different uh, scenarios from stripping MJF and Adam Cole of the tag titles to uh, should Samoa Joe vacated the TV title? Yeah, that's something to consider. I mean, things are great. It's going to be a great show. Um, you did ask him about Ring of Honor subscribers. I don't yes. think he put a number on it, though. No, no. Seeing that. So th- on Friday's show, they are making this exclusive on Honor Club. It's not a pay-per-view. And I asked as well about whether this is kind of are you crossing a line where you can't go back at this point to pay-per-view? The answer, as I took from him that he gave was they are not they're not looking at this as like a clean break from pay-per-view that if the demand warranted it that they could put ROH back on pay-per-view. But I think with the escalation of AEW shows and even though they're completely separate companies, I think maybe this is probably the best distribution method for ring of honor as something for your honor club subscribers and really does incentivize you to sign up for honor club, which there wasn't that incentive before. If you're someone that just wants to watch the pay-per-views, I guess they made a calculation that it's, it's a good investment to, sort of cannibalize the pay-per-view, which was probably doing what? What do we think? 30, 40,000 buys worldwide. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's w- whatever revenue that that would generate without breaking out a calculator uh, is it's worth it to try to redirect that, that consumer activity in, into subscribers that may recur for more than one month. All right. And uh, one other note that was uh, coming out today, the, uh, the Mark Kerr film that Dwayne Johnson was linked to, uh, this was back in 2019. They announced this. Mark Kerr, a former, former UFC fighter, former pride fighter, and then, um, was the subject of this excellent documentary in 2003 called The Smashing Machine. Um, the rights yeah. to that were acquired by Dwayne Johnson's Seven Bucks production. And the film is set to be distributed now by A24, who's the same outlet that's putting out the Iron Claw on the Von Eric family. And, uh, 51-year-old Dwayne Johnson will play MMA fighter Mark Kerr. Okay. He's gonna, are there going to be scenes from Pride in there? Is, uh, is The Rock going to appear in Pride? Yeah, he will, he'll have to. I mean, that was his big, his big moment was, uh, yeah, going, going over to Pride and, you know, fighting at the Tokyo Dome. So I'm, I'm sure we will see, uh, Dwayne Johnson in all his, uh, his MMA glory. But there you have it, everybody. Um, it, it could have just been life imitating art if, uh, Dwayne Johnson had gone over in 97, like he intended to, to Pride. He could have fought Mark. That's Kirk, right. He almost did. He almost went to Pride. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was around the time that, that uh, Hulk Hogan was almost in Metallica. Yes. And wrestling 400 days a year because of the uh, international date line. Still a, still a great Hulk Hoganism. But there you have it, everybody. You are now all caught up to date on all of the news uh, that is going on. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, on Rewind Away on Thursday, for members at postwrestlingcafe.com. Way and I will be going back on Thursday and we're looking at the first season of The Ultimate Fighter. And boy, do I have some uh, some notes on this first season. It, it is wild to go back. And yes, we will probably be talking about uh, fighter pay at some point in this, which uh, how dare you expect to be paid for these fights on national television as we uh, try to get out of debt. So that's coming up on Thursday's edition. And tonight we will be live with 
Rewind to Dynamite following Winter is Coming, featuring the Von Erichs on television, Brandon. Kevin Marshall and Ross Von Erich as they get set for the release of their film next week. Yes. When, when does your embargo get lifted? Oh, it's free. It's a, it's That's up. free. Oh yeah. I can answer so I, all I can ask questions. you, what did you think? Spoilers. Without spoilers. Spoilers. Yeah. Without spoilers thumbs up, leak. thumbs down. Um, so I'll, I'll say this in terms of the, the film. I think some of the performances were excellent. I think overall, many people, um, I, I do think this is going to be a hit with most people that, that watch it. It's already getting like some acclaim. If you're someone that knows the story, like the timeline and some of the events, the, the inaccuracies will drive you insane. Like there is, uh, if you know the story, but I think that's going to be a very small fragment of the audience. Like even wrestling fans that know like world-class history, um, it, you are going back uh, a bit, but this is going to be a long review in the observer of this film. Then 12 pages minimum <laughs> would be my guess. So okay. that's, uh, that's coming up next Friday, but uh, we'll, we'll definitely talk about it whenever you get to uh, see, see the film. You, you should definitely, uh, take your significant other to see it and then see as well. She, she's pretty into pro wrestling herself. So she yes. might be more ahead. Yeah. We're, we're going out of town, but I, but might, might be, might be still home. Well, okay. I suppose we could go see it out of town too, but yeah, we, I, I, I do plan to see it. I'll, I'll see it as soon as possible. And we can talk about it after I see it. Okay. That's going to wrap everything up again. A big thank you to Jason Cruz for joining us. Uh, next week will be the final Pollock and Thurston of 2023. We're going to be off on the 27th. Like you're canceling the show for a second. No, 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 no. I've, uh, <laughs> uh, I, we will be back on January the 3rd. We're going to have, give us one week off for, uh, for holiday madness and, and travel and such and allow Brandon an afternoon to go see the Iron Claw. So, sure. uh, we will be back next week. Maybe we'll do a, uh, <clears throat> Who's up? Who's down? 2023 edition of, of the show. A Marshan and Orand. Uh, is, is this the Marshan and Orand of wrestling business? I don't know. I don't know if uh, if, if it is or such. But um, we will. Uh, we, we don't do their their voiceover sound effects. We don't. We don't have that kind of technology. But no. there you have it, everybody. That's it for Pollock and Thurston. Thanks for joining us, and we will speak with you next Wednesday. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.